According to Bizabo, an event software company, 41% of marketers believe that events are the single most effective marketing channel over digital advertising, email marketing, and content marketing. There's no denying that events can be a valuable marketing program if done correctly. So in today's episode, we chat with a colleague who runs every size of event and has seen most of the challenges and opportunities firsthand. Emma and I lead a discussion on how to run an effective marketing event, and our tip of the week addresses considerations in wine shipping and delivery for events. So if you like this podcast, please consider following us on social. We're HTB Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, and Real HTB Podcast on Twitter. You can also subscribe to our email list at htbpodcast.com. Consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or other platforms. And finally, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash htbpodcast. I'm Michael Wainbickler, and it's time to hit the bottle. Welcome to Hit the Bottle Podcast, a practical guide to beverage marketing through the lens of strategy, technology, and leadership. From exploring the buyer journey to leveraging modern public relations, to how marketing automation is changing the way we engage with customers. Hit the Bottle goes above and beyond the ordinary to ask and answer the right questions. Each week we chat with industry experts, explore practical applications, and discuss the newest trends. All to provide you with the insights and strategies you need to create successful marketing programs. It's time to hit the bottle. Our next guest is the owner of Please the Palette, a boutique agency specializing in marketing and event planning for the wine and spirits industry. With over 20 years of experience in communications, marketing, and event planning, she is passionate about the world around her and the diverse people in it. As an industry expert, she works with wine regions around the world, organizing trade and media events around the United States. She is a columnist for Napa Valley Register and the host of the podcast Wine Soundtrack USA, where she interviews winemakers and their winery owners who share their stories, insights, and some humorous anecdotes. Welcome, Allison Levine. Thanks, Mike. I'm excited to be here. I'm I'm really excited to have you as well. We've worked together uh, on a number of projects in the past, so I really value your insights. Oh, thank you. Yes, so we have worked together. So we share some common goals and um, ideals. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So before we begin, would you share with the listeners how they might contact you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, My company is called Please the Palette, P-A-L-A-T-E, like the palette, your tongue. And so my website is pleasethepalette.com. And email, I can be reached at Allison with two L's at pleasethepalette.com. But when it gets to social media, um, Instagram and Twitter are PLS the palette. Um, Facebook is please the palette. So there you go. Great. So, uh, okay. So I asked you on the show today um, to talk about um, marketing events. You know, you and I have been doing these for any number of years and, you and I, I think, have the same kind of ideals of what makes an effective marketing event. So, so what do you see as the value of events in general for the for the beverage producers? Well, as you know, like you, I mean, I work with regions versus working with 
um, a wholesaler. And I think the benefit to doing regional events is obviously we have a vast world of wine out there. Um, so much to taste, so many different regions, varieties, and we can't get everywhere in the world. And so the idea that regions come and offer an opportunity to taste what's happening today in that particular region. Um, it's an opportunity to see what a vintage is doing, what a particular grape, if you're in a region that focuses on certain grapes, it's really a, an amazing opportunity just to taste a lot of wines and get a sense of what's happening. Okay. So say you're a producer in a particular region and that region is planning to do some events. Would you recommend that those producers participate? Absolutely. I think that first and foremost, regions need to promote themselves because especially in the United States, there's so much choice. And when we're looking at a wine list as a consumer, you know, the idea is that we would want someone first to go to that region before they start worrying about specific producers. So the more that a producer can participate with their region and, and put their region sort of at the top of someone's mind, I think that's the best start. I think that's that's the old adage of a rising tide lifts all boats. Yes. You know, so the more you can help promote the area in which you are, the greater everybody benefits. Absolutely. And I also think that it follows on that, that, you know, as a, many buyers are lucky to have a number of different distributors come in and sample their wines, but with a lot of regions, maybe, maybe the wholesaler comes in with one or two wines. And I think that for the buyer, it's an opportunity to really see, you know, where those wines line up in a place. Like, is this, is the quality consistent among producers or is the one producer they really like an exception to the rule? And I think that being able to understand a region at a time is really the opportunity to know what's going to be best for your wine list or, you know, what you want best in your home. Right. So like us, uh, most of the events that you do are, are trade events uh, with the audience being uh, restaurants, re uh, retailers and distributors. So um, we've talked about the benefit to them. You know, what is what is the benefit to the producer of of having participating in these events and being able to meet with these people? Well, I think that that's that's kind of a tough one because I don't know that it directly results in a return on investment. I think it's a marketing exercise to do a big walk around tasting focusing on a region is really an opportunity to position that region in the forefront of people's minds. I think it's then the, the responsibility of the individual producer um, to go out and establish the relationships and, and market their own individual brand. So, you know, it's hard to say that a big walk around tasting has a return on investment, but I do think in the big scheme of things, when you look at the end of a year of work, it is definitely a valuable tool to have participated in. Can I disagree with you slightly? Sure. <laughs> I think there is a huge return on it, uh, actually. And, you know, perhaps there's not necessarily a return to the association. The association or the region, you know, they're, 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 their customers essentially are the producers. Their producers are either um, supporting the association directly through dollar contributions or through government funding. But the, the point is, is that, you know, like, you can't really prove an ROI for the for the association or for the 
for the organization. But you know, as individual producers, they absolutely have the opportunity and, frankly, the the necessity to leverage these events to increase their uh, bottom line. You know, whether that is, you know, through meeting with the distributor and finding, you know, finding a new distributor partner, meeting with um, key accounts uh, at retailers and restaurants, you know, there's, there's absolutely the opportunity for them to uh, increase their, their uh, contacts in, in their, in their database. Um, and especially, you know, in terms of, you know, getting those new sales when it comes to the trade. Oh, I totally agree. Absolutely agree with you. I just don't think that, you know, if a, if a brand shows up at one of these events and they walk away and they haven't done their job of collecting business cards, collecting names, building the relationships and starting the conversations or continuing them, depending on where, who the people are, then you know, they can't turn to us, the organizers or the region and say it wasn't valuable because they didn't make a sale today. These events are, that I do are not not directly tied to an order of wine. They're indirectly tied. But right. a lot sits on the producer standing behind the table and really engaging in order to connect the dots. Absolutely. You know, they have to do their, they have to do their job. And well, and, and that, and that, you know, that, that basically comes with any kind of event in that if you're going to organize an event as, as a producer or participating in one of these, these association events, you have to, you have to do your job and your job is actually to make sure that you're talking to people and collecting business cards and following up with them later. You know, that's, that's your job. I totally agree. <laughs> totally agree. And, you know, I think that's the other thing is you know, we both do events of all sizes from small, intimate seminars to larger walk around tastings. No matter what those events are, the key is about quality, not quantity. And right. anyone who attends these events, measuring them by the number of people in the room versus who they actually engaged with. I think the important thing is you could have 500 people in the room and make zero contacts and you could have 10 people in the room and make three that are great contacts. So I think that the focus has to be on the quality of the people you engage with and not, you know, what the room looks like. Well, that dovetails into my next question is, is okay, so, you know, what are some of the activities um, that are required to, to manage a successful event? I think what you have to really look at is what the region is trying to promote and the size of the region. If if you're working with a region that has to have 20, 30, 40 producers, you're a little bit limited in what you can do on an intimate level. And a walk around tasting is really the solution. I mean, I have racked my brain to try and come up with other more creative ways, but since I can't take 20, 30, 50 producers from account to account to account, you know, a walk around tasting is an opportunity for everyone to come and taste then. But when you have a smaller region or a smaller group of producers, you know, you can do a more focused seminar or food and wine pairing, uh, something that really gives the few attendees, whether it's 10, 15, 20 people that you invite an opportunity to really engage on a personal level with the product and see how it would integrate into whatever they do, whether it's, you know, pairing on a menu or how they would want to sell it because now they've understood how it works with food or, um, how it works in a greater context. Okay. So, so then what are some of the pitfalls that, um, that we encounter all the time? I have, I have several, but I'll let you start. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you start me out? Like, give me a context, which pitfall in which context? <laughs> well, uh, okay. So, um, let's talk about, uh, managing your lists. So, 
um, you know, one of the things that one of the things with with events is that you need to make sure that you get people in the room, right? <laughs> There's you can you can you can have the most amazing event ready to go. And if there's nobody there, then it doesn't matter. So, um, so really it's about, you know, what kind of work are you doing up front to manage your lists? Um, and some of the common pitfalls that I see are letting their, letting the lists go stale, um, like not updating them on a regular basis. Uh, and you know, things like, you know, allowing people onto your list who don't belong there. You know, we call them crashers, you and I. Um, but basically, it's you know those people who uh, show up to every tasting, and um, they're it's highly doubtful whether they're actually um, uh, have any value to the to the producers who are there. And so, um, you know, list management is 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 essential uh, when it comes to you know making sure that you have the right people in the room. Absolutely. Well, I think that. Having a current list or staying updated is a challenge. It's a job unto itself. And, you know, I know that I do my best to stay on top of it, but I I could hire someone full time to be doing it and that still wouldn't be enough time. So when I'm focused on a particular market, I sort of dive right into that market and see what I can do to enhance my existing list. But since I'm working with a lot of the same cities over and over, I'm able to keep it updated updating emails as they change and people move around. But I think the biggest challenge is the vetting of the list. And I think it is a huge, huge issue because I know you and I have spoken about this a lot of times and I take this very seriously. And I know that some of the competitors out there who I call clients also because they hire me over the years to help them, um, don't vet the lists with as much diligence as needed. It's one thing to have the list. I will share my crasher list with anyone and everyone, because I think we as a united force have to, to support not letting these people into the events. They don't offer value. And San Francisco being one of the markets with the worst level of crashers, New York following, um, they're not just sort of hanger-ons, but some of them actually create issues at the events with their behavior. So I think vetting the list, and it means that every time I'm doing an event um, on a regular basis, whether it's weekly or daily as we lead up, I am cross-checking every single name that's registering. And I've been doing this long enough that a lot of the names kind of raise a red flag in my head, but I think also it's not that hard to see who's questionable. Like when somebody registers as retail, but they put that they work at Victoria's Secret, you're like, um, I don't think that's wine retail. <laughs> and uh, and I've had those. Um, and also when people put down that they're a consultant, but their email happens to have an LLC, which usually is a law firm. So it's using these little tips to say, okay, let me question who this is and not be afraid. That's the biggest thing. I've worked with regions that have appreciated that I've done this, but when push came to shove at the door of the event, they don't want to cause any problems. And they, they say, Oh, don't, you know, don't turn anyone away. But every single time that I've had to sort of bite my tongue in that situation, I've had legitimate trade come up to me and say, why are these people here? And as I try to explain to clients all the time, we have to, we have to look for quality. Because what happens is that the quality people don't want to come to events when they know the riffraff is allowed in, and then they stop coming. And that just makes our lives 
really challenging because if we can't get the top psalms to show up because they think all the hanger-ons are going to be there, then it defeats the purpose of what we're doing. Yep. All right. So we can talk about crashers forever. So <laughs> let's move Let's move on. Um, so so um, what are some other pitfalls? Well, I think other pitfalls just in terms of planning um, with tasting booklets. And a lot of times this is a regional thing since it's produced in-house. And um, so I, I kind of, I can't say that it's totally on my hands, but you know, there isn't room for note taking or they don't have current vintages listed or the right wine information. I know things change all the time, but the more information we can provide the trade at an event, the better, the more prepared we are, the better. Well, in terms of preparation, you know, giving enough time for planning, you know, this is, I mean, you and I both work with European clients a lot and this is something they're really bad at. And that is that they just don't, they just don't plan enough time into things, you know, especially, you know, um, especially with things like wine delivery, uh, you know, if, if wines are coming over from Europe, you have to give that, give that wine time to get here. You have to give it time to get to the airport or to clear customs, um, and then be, de- be delivered to the, uh, to the location. You know, this is something that is always, uh, nowadays I don't have as many problems with it, but you know, through the years, you know, I've t- been tearing my hair out, like, where's the wine? And in fact, you know, um, I think it was last year, I actually had an event with no wine because, um, you know, basically the, the importer had one job and he screwed up. <laughs> so um, unfortunately, you know, that reflects badly on, on us as well. So, um, you know, so that's one of the pitfalls, like, you know, basically give yourself <laughs> enough time. <laughs> You're making me nervous because I have events next week and the wines are supposed to arrive the day before. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that. I know that feeling well. Um, so thankfully, we we've got some events coming up in November, and I think we're okay for those. So, um, yeah. I think also, I think one of the things also is to really temper the expectations of the producers of the clients that are going to be at the events. Um, I try to remind them each and every time, you know, I try to get to the venue before they do. Sometimes they like to be there very early. So I like to be there even earlier just to get a sense because they get very nervous. You could be three hours out with plenty of time to, to get everything organized. But the minute they set up, they want the ice. Right. And, you know, you're not quite ready to get the ice out. So, you know, I think I try to really set expectations even the day before and let them know that they're in good hands. Um, But also, let them know realistically. I never try to falsify numbers. I give them a realistic number of RSVPs. I give them a realistic understanding of how many may not show right. up on yeah. that list, but how many walks we'll have. And at the end of the event, I send a complete list of all attendees. Um, I know with some of these big events out there, I'm always curious um, if the producers ever see the list. And I would think that they should demand this. They've spent the money and the time, and they should be asking for a final list of who attended. And I think at that point, they'd be able to take a good look and see who's vetting their list. Well, absolutely. And, you know, I mean, that's, uh, well, I mean, not even, not even that. I mean, you know, I don't think it necessarily has to be about vetting, but, but, you know, um, if you're participating in an event, any kind of event, you have the right to see a list of the attendees and there's, there's, and that is, that is a potential prospect list for you. So, um, so yeah, so you should, should be able to request that and any event organizer should be able to deliver that. Absolutely. Um, and I think that, you know, other pitfalls, you know, I just think that it takes to plan an event, 
you have to be detail oriented. And if you're on top of your details and you're organizing, you can stay calm through it and smile even when the wine hasn't shown up on time or something like that. I think that that is what's required to make a successful event, to be smiling when the people come in, both the producers as well as the attendees and never, um, you know, show never show your stress or never kind of take your frustration out on the crew or, or anyone else. Um, because that doesn't necessarily bode well for how the event will be perceived. Well, that's a, that's a great point. And that's, that kind of leads into the next question is, okay, so <laughs> what happens when things go awry? How, how do you handle that? Panic, <laughs> run around in the, run, run around a circle with your hand in the air saying, ah. <laughs> um, I find a solution. There's always a solution. And sometimes you just have to accept what it's going to be. I mean, if it was something, um, huh, I had a situation once I had a, I had a debate throughout an event with my clients because I was working with Italians and how do Italians <laughs> feel about air conditioning? <laughs> nope. They don't like it. But the problem is when you're in a big venue, you've got to get it really cold because when you're going to get a couple hundred bodies in there, it's going to get warm. And they wouldn't listen to me. And they kept telling the hotel to shut it down. And I kept telling them to turn it on. And, um, you know, I had the Italians complaining all day, right. a couple of them that had the vent on them. And um, in the end, I sort of lost because they got it turned off when I wasn't paying enough attention. And we did a consumer event that night so and it was hot to the point that paid consumers were complaining. And, you know, I could have thrown my clients under the bus. I could have, you know, ignored the attendee, but I just, I looked at them. I said, let me find a solution. Why don't you come over here? It's a little cooler. We have the air, you know, just trying to find a positive spin on the situation and deal with it as best as I could. And, you know, like I said, once you have a couple hundred bodies in a room, yeah. it's a little hard to change to that situation. Up, to cool it down. It's, it's a little harder. Yep. Yes. <laughs> but other things, you know, um, I, I've been lucky. I say this now, like I said next week, but knock on wood, um, you know, I've had the wine show up, but I've had seminars where a wine doesn't show up or there's a broken bottle or the vintages are different. Um, you know, you just correct the information and you let the people know, here's what we have. You know, sometimes it's a funny story. Well, and I think, you know, different. I think, um, it, it really does come down to open communication, right? Being, being transparent and being open and being willing to find that solution. So, um, you know, one of the, one of the things that we do as a best practice is when we have a group tasting such as that, we always include a welcome letter. Um, to the producers, which basically tells them some of the key information that they're going to need to know, like, you know, who the attendees are, um, what the, what the badge codes mean, you know, um, what they should expect, uh, all those, all that information, you know, that's very useful. Now, most of them won't read that, but, but you have made the effort um, to make sure that you are communicating with them and setting expectations. Absolutely. And I think that um, always having always having sort of a smile on your face and, and taking issues as they come, it's great to be working at venues where you have a good team and people who are willing and able to help you. I mean, I've been in venues that are just venues where you have to bring everything in 
you know, with a catering. So you're limited to having that, oh, do you have an extra trash can or, oh, do you have this? Um, you know, there are solutions. There's always a box you can turn into a trash can. There's always um, a CVS down the street. You can go buy spit cups. You know, there's always something you can do to be creative and find a solution. And, you know, when you can't, you just apologize and say, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I did my best. Event man, yeah. Event managers are nothing if not resourceful. Yes. <laughs> so uh, okay, so um, uh, time flies. We were having a good discussion. Uh, so before we wrap mm-hmm. up, um, why don't you tell me a little bit about Please the Palette? Uh, well, Please the Palette. So as we were discussing, I do marketing and events in the wine industry, working with wine regions um, in all different capacities, all sorts of events, and I've been doing this for. A pretty long time. I just celebrated eight years for Please the Palette. So um, having my own business, having done it with other people and for other people over the years. Um, and then on a completely different note, I'm a freelance writer and I host a podcast where I interview winemakers and winery owners to get to know them. And so it it it's a real opportunity to meet different people and share their stories, which I love to do. And hopefully with what I'm doing with events, I'm also able to share the stories and share regions and wines with people in the industry. Um, I think that's the great thing. I think wine is wine has a great story and I just like to share it with everyone in any way I can. Okay, the podcast is called Wine Soundtrack. Uh, it launched in Italy in 2017. I launched it in the U.S. in 2018, and it is launching around the world in South Africa and Argentina um, in different languages. And so the website's winesoundtrack.com, and it's getting to know winemakers and winery owners in 30 questions, some very classic questions, some very funny questions. Um, we put them to the challenge. They seem to always have a good time. And, you know, they each have some very funny stories to tell. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they do. Um, great. Uh, so, hey, thanks a bunch for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. Um, it's always great to, to, to talk to you. Um, so folks, uh, for my listeners out there, if, if you don't, uh, if you don't go with me for uh, event management, I highly recommend <laughs> Alison Levine, uh, and please the palette. Um, they, they, she does good work, um, on the events and I always enjoy going to her events. So thanks a bunch again for being on the show. Thank you, Mike. And, uh, likewise, and if not, we can work together if people want. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Alrighty. Thank you. Thank you. Here's a message from our sponsor. She's the director of marketing at Wine Direct, where she oversees all aspects of marketing and communications. With a passion for wine and technology, she loves helping wineries leverage on and offline tools to succeed with direct-to-consumer sales. Her experience includes brand building, digital marketing, event marketing, PR, email, social media, and more. She's worked with a broad range of wine and spirits brands from small boutique vineyards to multinational corporations. In her spare time, she authored the book, Spare Time, right? Uh, where bartenders drink, a global guide to the world's best bars. That sounds like an awesome book. I'm going to get it. Welcome to Hit the Bottle, Adrian Stillman.
Thank you, Michael. I'm delighted to be here. I'm glad to have you here. So she's currently the community manager for Yelp in Columbus, Ohio. I had to say Yelp. She handles all of the marketing and event planning for Yelp in the city and loves connecting the community with great local businesses. Outside of her role at Yelp, you can find her tending her garden, doing something crafty, or dancing to live music. And I'm pretty sure that she's going to be Emma Criswell's new BFF. Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Thanks for being here. And finally, she's the Han Solo to my Chewbacca, the tea to my crumpets, VP of Client Services at Balzac Communications. It's Emma Criswell. <laughs> Hi, Mike. Hi. Guys, thanks so much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you all being here. Uh, the reason I've asked you here is to have a discussion on what makes um, a good marketing event. You know, there's a lot of things that go into the planning of good events. Uh, a lot of wineries and wine regions do them. Uh, but um, I'd like to get some pointers from some of the experts and professionals in the field, uh, including ourselves, in terms of what makes a great event. So uh, I'm wondering, Adrian, if you'd like to kick things off with some thoughts. Sure thing, Mike. Thank you. Well, I think that the, the number one thing I would say, especially when someone's getting started or thinking about holding an event, is to really start with the basics, start with your goals. Why are you doing this event? What are you hoping to get out of it? And that's really gonna help any any brand or any company to figure out what kind of event you should have, what should you be doing at the event. Um, there's so many different ways that you can leverage event marketing, whether it's for brand awareness, customer acquisition, actually driving sales or driving revenue from the event itself. Maybe you're just maybe you're looking to do engagement, uh, customer loyalty with, for example, wine club members or existing clients. Perhaps you have a PR audience or even an investor audience. So figuring out who is your audience and what is your goal for the event, what does it look like for this event to be successful, is I think the number one thing that you should start with. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's, that's 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 the goal of any marketing program is figuring out what the goal is of doing it. I think there's a few too many marketing programs uh, out there, especially in the wine space, that people do just just because. Um, right. It's always been done that way. Right, and people get it. It's easy to get excited about an event. Let's have a party, and then you spend all this time and money and effort, and after the event was it successful? And nobody knows because you didn't decide in advance what constitutes a successful event. Yeah, a lot of people showed up. People seem to be having a great time. That's, yeah. That's was great, that, but, yeah. Nobody stole any bottles of wine. It's a success. Right. <laughs> That'll never happen. Anybody, anybody who runs wine events knows that there's always some bottles that walk away. It's crazy. So, um, so Jamie, what's your perspective um, on on what makes a good marketing event. You know, it doesn't have to be specific to the wine business, but you know, what are some of the things that uh, that you think uh, people need to think about whenever they're starting out on this path? Yeah, um, there's three things that come to mind right away for me. The first is that whoever's attending this event has clear expectations on what to what's going to happen. Um, if anyone's ever gone to an event and it hasn't turned out the way they wanted it to, or they didn't know what to expect, it can obviously go the wrong way. Um, on top of that, 
it needs to be buzzworthy. It needs to be sexy. There needs to be something that's exciting. Um, we want people talking about this event after they leave. And if it's boring, you know, it's not going to travel once the event ends. And having a clear call to action, I would say, is pretty important, at least for me, when it comes to marketing events. You want people to walk away um, with a clear call to action, something that they know that we're going to ask them to do or next step for them to partake in once they leave. So those are the three things I always think about when I'm planning an event. Yeah, so that's interesting. It's, it's you know, we've, we've just had like kind of two different perspectives, like one looking at it in terms of the, of the visitor or the, or the attendee and one from the perspective of who's actually throwing the event. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, those two things have to kind of meet in the middle, right? Absolutely. So Emma, what do you think um, constitutes a, a good marketing event? Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I think it definitely setting expectations with your client first and foremost and kind of working with them to figure out what exactly is going to work between their expectations and what you know is something that has worked for you in the past. Um, I think that's the first step. Um, well, that's, you know, <laughs> that's, that's looking at from an, our agency perspective, but it yeah. also, that works also from like an event manager perspective, you know, to their executives, right? So, you know, let's say that you're the head of events for a winery and you have to report to the VP of marketing, you know, how are you going to report to them? How you can communicate to them um, what you're doing and, and how that's going to be success. And I think that's on both mm-hmm. sides of the equation here. It's about communication, right? It's about open, right. It's about open, mm-hmm. open lines of communication, both up, up the channel and down the channel. Uh, in that, you know, you have to, like, to, to Jamie's point, you know, it's like, what are the expectations that an attendee has for the event? Well, that's, that's how you, it's through your communication with them as to what they should expect. And then mm-hmm. in terms of how, what, what kind of outcomes we expect from the event on the management side, that's, again, you know, it's about how you communicate with, uh, with management about that. So, um, so what are some of the uh, pitfalls that we've all run into um, when it comes to running events? <laughs> Where do I start? <laughs> <sighs> I would say number one, not being prepared. It's the biggest thing for me. Um, if I'm not prepared, then it's likely that the event isn't going to be as successful as it could be. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind. So, so then how do you prepare for an event? Uh, well, me personally, how I prepare, um, making communication is key making sure that I've communicated not only to the attendees, but also the folks who are kind of hosting the event that, uh, what to expect, um, making sure I have the right amount of people that it's not going to be an event where it's a flop and not everyone shows up so that I have really solid attendees lined up. Um, small details to me, it's like, I want the flow of the event to go well. I want people to be engaged. I want them to be in, interacting with each other. Um, I went to an event this morning and I loved how they gave me a name tag and they gave other attendees a name tag so people knew who each other were. If you don't have a way for people to introduce themselves, um, it can cause kind of stale conversation and people to be shy and more introverted. Yeah, that's something that we actually do at, at, uh, at Balzac. Is we, we do mostly trade events. We don't really do a ton of consumer events. We do some, but mostly they're trade events. 
And uh, for no trade events, we almost always have name badges prepared ahead of time for um, visitors so that um, not only can each of them uh, network with each other, but so that the people who are pouring, usually producers, uh, know uh, who they're actually talking to. Mm -hmm. To add on to that, that point, I think that staffing is an incredibly important consideration with events and particularly for smaller wineries, breweries or, or spirit producers or any small company. It's uh, if you don't if you haven't produced events in the past, it can be easy to think, oh, I'll just I'll just take care of that uh, small detail on the day or mm -hmm. I'll be the one running check in. And I'm also going to be the one coordinating with the venue and I'm also going to be the one who runs out to get extra ice if we run out and that's not a recipe for success the one of the first events big events that I produced I, when I, I launched a website guide to bars in New York and we had a launch party and I did not line up adequate staffing and I was so exhausted I after the event I just couldn't could not barely function for a number of days because it was so overwhelming. And there's you, there's always something that's going to, in my experience, go wrong at the event or something unforeseen that's going to cause an issue. And you just need some extra people there so that if something goes wrong, you have someone who can troubleshoot it and you're not trying to do 10 things at once and then creating a bad experience for your guest. Uh, that's an excellent point. Or <laughs> creating a bad experience for you. You know, right. when right. You, if, if you have a, if you have a grumpy event manager, the event's not going to be good. That's so <laughs> that's, right. That's yeah. Yeah. Keeping um, even ahead, actually, you know that that actually is another piece of good advice is that you know stay on the even keel as an event manager. Make sure that you don't get yourself bent out of shape um, when something goes wrong, uh, because everybody else will pick up on that too, and then you know the stress level will just ratchet up. Mm -hmm. I would also add that some of those, uh, the, you know, the the devil is in the details that Jamie was mentioning earlier. Things like making sure there are enough bathrooms and mm -hmm. signage to bathrooms. Uh, I have that's been a, a sticking point at a, a few events that I've done, and we didn't anticipate the to ask the venue that we were working with, and it ended up delaying the course of the event because we were doing it was a, a small sort of mini conference half day educational conference and we didn't have enough bathrooms and so instead of having a 15 minute break we had to have a half hour break because everyone was in line for the bathroom so that was a, a those things that sometimes you don't you don't think about i you know, trying to line up all of the really thinking through the minutia of the event in advance and not only the things that are fun to think about, like how is the bar going to be set up or what beautiful floral arrangements you could have or what other extra fun engaging activations are going to be there, but also the behind the scenes. How is the nitty gritty, you know, going to happen? Trash. Do you have enough food? Uh, how's everyone going to, you know, going to get in or exit the venue, making sure that you take time to think about some of those not as sexy details is equally important as the the sort of fun ex and exciting parts of event planning. Yeah, absolutely. Things like, do you have enough glasses? Are there right. enough dump buckets? 
Uh, yeah, you know, how, who's, who's actually removing trash? All those things are important. And one of the most important things for the events that we run is to think about is registration. Because mm -hmm. um, oftentimes, you know, people are coming to an event to come to the event. They don't want to sit for half an hour waiting to actually get into the event because registration is really slow. Mm -hmm. So, um, so that's one area where um, people need to put some thought and really do. And on that note, I have to add for registration because at all my, all the events I throw is a pretty streamlined process. But when you need to have someone other than yourself there for registration, the people manning the registration are the first impression your guests get. So also making sure whoever's there is on top of things as a smile. It is really good at greeting people that are your people people, not kind of your introverts. Because <laughs> you want to make sure that people feel, feel welcome the moment they walk through the door. Yeah, absolutely. You don't want me doing registration. <laughs> <laughs> no, Mike is good to keep out the hangers on that tend to show up. Yeah, I'm, I'm a good bouncer. <laughs> he is a good bouncer. But, um, yeah, definitely. I just wanted to touch on Adrian's point about the minutia is something we started doing at Balzac it's after and during every event somebody just starts making a checklist of oh we should do that differently next year and we have um, some programs that we use that we can share that sort of thing within the team and then someone uploads all of those notes and that's available for the next year and you can think oh that's right we hated those corkscrews you know, and things like that. So it's helpful in that way. Yeah, absolutely. If you're going to be repeating an event, making notes is, is, is an important point. So, um, okay, so that's, those are all um, great points in terms of, you know, execution the day of the event. So let's talk a little bit about, we're talking about marketing events. So let's talk about leading up to the event. Like what, what, we sh what are some activities that people should be doing um, in order to make the event a success leading up to that, um, you know, what kind of marketing uh, programs or marketing tactics should people be using to promote it? Ooh, this topic makes me excited. <laughs> These are the, I love um, the buildup to an event almost as much as the event itself. Um, there's so many different things that you can do to be creative. One, you can get very visual with it. You can do a promotional video, you can do promotional ads, um, a lot of social campaigns. I think it's really fun to get everyone that's like a vendor or a participant at the event to get them to spread the word and share it as well on their own channels to their own communities. How, how do you, uh, I'm Jamie, getting things on. Yeah, how do you go about that, Jamie? Like getting getting your vendors uh, involved or getting getting the participants involved. Like, you know, if somebody's running an event here in, in, in Napa Valley, say, you know, they may have like a bunch of um, caterers or chefs or something who's participating in the event. Like, how do how do we encourage them, or what tools should yeah. we give them in order to help promote the event? You just need to make it as easy as possible for them, because we know that they are just as busy as we are. Um, whenever I do that, I kind of put together what I call like a little media kit. So they have pre-crafted social, they have pre-crafted copy for those captions that are in everything they're sharing providing them with that ahead of time and saying, hey, we would love for you to help spread the word. Here's everything you need to do it. It'll take you five minutes to just share. Um, that's the easiest way to do it because then, you know, there's, it's kind of hard for them to say no and they've got everything in their email and all it takes a couple of minutes. So making that's sure you idea. have, yeah, I, not only do I throw events, but I partner with other events. 
And the biggest thing, or like my biggest pet peeve is when they ask me to share on our social channels, yet they can't give me a good creative image and they can't give me any copy. And I then have to do all the work to make it, to do it myself essentially. And that is a pain. So making sure you have all that readily available and sent out to them um, with clear instructions on what to do. Do you personalize that copy for each one of your vendors? Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. Nice. Community sorry. calendars is another one as well. I'm sorry. <laughs> Making sure that you're sharing that event on community calendars, because no matter what, what city you're in, what town or market you're in, there's going to be community calendars all over the internet. Um, and if you're on there, those will kind of do the trick to help get some more attendees for you. Yeah, I'll, I'll put in a little plug for our friends' local wine events. You know, it's, oh, yeah. uh, it's a resource that's um, that is uh, underutilized. I mean, it's it's a great resource, um, but there's a lot of uh, a lot of events out there that don't actually take advantage of it, um, and it makes a ton of sense because it's specifically meant towards um, the wine business and wine events. And it doesn't matter where you are um, in the country. Um, there's always local wine events going on, so that's a great resource for that. So, Adrian, what do you? What do you think um, needs to be, happen um, leading up to, uh, to an event? Well, I think it's really important when thinking about both the lead up and the and the follow on, which perhaps we're going to get to later. But to, ahead. Yeah, don't do that. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> not not to not to jump the gun on it, but to really think about it as to really think through the whole process and the whole experience of what your guest is going to to go through. It's it's easy, I think to for us as marketers to sometimes forget that the guest experience with our brand or the customer experience with our brand is goes across all of these online and offline touch points and that it's not just the event in a vacuum alone by itself their experience at the event it's as Jamie was saying, you want to build that anticipation in advance, and then you want to capitalize on the hopefully the wonderful time that they had afterwards. I, I would like to call attention to something which is less necessarily about the your guest. Well, it's about guest outreach, but it kind of comes back more to the to the organizer and what you're trying to get out of the event. And I would say that making sure that you are collecting data at all points through the event process is really important and often overlooked. And there are many different touch points at which you can collect this kind of information from obviously registration where, uh, or sign up, where you're presumably going to be capturing at least the name and email of the person attending. Uh, but are there additional details that you could, could capture about them either in terms of their preferences, personal details, obviously, you know, allergies um, would be a, a very practical thing to collect. But this to me is the reason that I think this is important is that it allows you to cater and customize your event uh, on the day. So knowing in advance that you have people who are coming in that who perhaps you have a large group that has a gluten allergy, for example, that allows you to deliver a really nice personalized experience where you could set up a section of the event where you have a dedicated table for gluten-free 
food mm -hmm. options that would be safe for those people to eat. Or uh, one thing that we we see, I've seen at wineries do this, both for events as well as for folks booking tastings, is to ask a fun question like, who's your music spirit animal? And then they use that to populate a playlist for that person's tasting appointment. Now, obviously, if you're having a really large scale event for hundreds of people, that becomes not as, uh, as logistically possible. But if you're having a smaller event, you could definitely add some of those personal touches that make people feel like you have produced this event really for them. Mm -hmm. And then you can do more effective outreach on, on the back end. Um, another option there is even pre event pre-sales. Um, at WineDirect, we have a, we work with a, a partner, a reservations and event partner called Talk, which is a software, and they have a really cool feature where that I, I saw a winery, uh, Pax Wines actually, they're having a, a club, I believe it's a club party, and the, the party itself is free, but when you sign up to attend the the party, you they give you the option to purchase wine in advance. Nice. So. Yeah, so we can even drive sales before the event itself and, and drive and drive anticipation. Right. Yeah. So I mean, you're, you're talking my language, Adrian. I mean, this is I mean, if you, you know, this is what this podcast is all about. And that is, you know, um, the, the evolution of marketing at this point is going to be moving more towards personalization, more towards mm -hmm. um, experiences that a customer feels are bespoke. And mm -hmm. the more that you can leverage your um, data in order to be able to do that. The fact is, is that, you know, you're A, going to build loyalty and B, going to build sales. 100%. On that note, real quick, I wanted to add um, accessibility, something that's been a priority mm -hmm. for me lately. Um, obviously, we want this event to be inclusive and accessibility is a big thing that not a lot of um, event organizers or planners think about. Um, you know, whether there's a wheelchair access, maybe you need an interpreter, um, someone doing sign language, something along those lines, but making sure that people aren't hesitant to attend because they don't know if they can get in the building or can really have a good time. Yeah, that's actually a good point. And that is um, one thing that we're going to address in a, in a later episode is about ADA compliance and um, how, mm -hmm. to, how to be inclusive and make people feel welcome. So, um, so let's talk about follow-up. You know, one of the things one of the things that where most uh, event managers or events fall down is what happens after the event. So, what should people be doing post events in order to make these events most effective? The event is not over until that follow up work is done. It's kind of my motto. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what do you What do you do? I recommend uh, a follow up email to every single attendee um, about the the day a day later. I don't like the email to go out the night the night of the event the next day. I also like to make sure every individual has a touch point if I'm able to connect with each attendee individually. That's huge, um, as well as promoting that event on our social channels and in the newsletters or blogs that we have. A blog post is always really beneficial if you can do that in some way, shape, or form. Um, but those are the three things I do: email, social blog, I guess, for if you're able to make a touch point. Nice. Adrian? I agree with all of those points. And I would also say that one of the things that event 
promoting your event both before and after obviously you're driving your your core audience is going to be your actual event attendees but there's a secondary audience which is the other people who were not able to come and you want to give them hopefully a reason to attend a future event and or a reason to to buy from your brand and so making sure that you're amplifying the event beyond just the people who showed up. And social media is obviously a great way to do that. I think having somebody who's tasked with social during the event is a good idea, particularly for larger scale events, so that you can amplify the experiences that people are having in real time. Um, for sure, for the follow-up uh, marketing, e uh, excuse me, follow-up email that Jamie mentioned uh, is really important. And I would ev even think beyond that single email. And again, this goes back to a consideration of what, you know, what is the goal of your event and how large is it? But for example, if the goal of your event is customer acquisition and let's say one of your key key goals was that you wanted to collect emails to grow your mailing list. Don't just send them the thank you for coming to our event email. Also tee up a, perhaps a series of emails or perhaps at least one subsequent email that you have going out to them that tells introduces them to your brand, gives them some more information. Maybe there's some educational content, a, you know, meet the winemaker or meet the uh, meet the people behind the brand or something about your your distillery and your and your process to, you know to, it really depends on your on who you are and what your what's most relevant uh, and as well as perhaps there's a buy offer you know whether it's a percentage discount or a shipping incentive which is what what we see works even better than than price discounts so thinking about more more longevity past the past just the think the the, the immediate follow up but more long term how are you going to continue to move those people down your sales funnel or drive their loyalty even more Absolutely yes I mean it makes a ton of sense to set up a drip campaign where mm -hmm. you know you put them on you put them on a decision tree and you know depending on where they end up uh, on that path you know it's it's Again, it's personalized content. It's you know, it's, right. it's giving them something uh, of value um, that makes you know, that breeds brand loyalty and leads to sale. So, um, great, great way to end this podcast. I really appreciate you guys being on the show today, but we are out of time. So, um, Adrian, Jamie, Emma, thanks a ton for your input, and thanks for being on the bottle. Thanks, Michael. It was a pleasure. Thanks for having me. This is fun. I'll talk to you next time. <laughs> Bye. Hi, everyone. It's Emma here with your tip of the week. In today's episode, we talked a lot about marketing wine events, and one of the most pivotal aspects of those events is the wine itself. But it's not necessarily easy to get the wine to your events, and there are more factors than you likely realize that need to be considered. We put together a nice checklist of boxes you need to tick before your next event. First off, if the wine is coming from another country, how long will it take to get to your event venue? 
If the wine isn't yet imported into the U.S., you'll need a cola waiver to bring it in without an importer of record. To obtain said cola, you're going to have to apply. And typically, only importers can do this, and you'll need to find one to help you out in this instance. To obtain the waiver, you'll need all the facts about what's in the bottle and allow at minimum a month for it to be approved. Once that's done, you can ship it. When wine ships to another country, there are customs you have to think about, too. I can't tell you how many times that wine has gotten held up in U.S. customs and was released way too close to my event date for comfort. So we normally suggest a minimum of three weeks prior to your event for your wine to deal with customs. After you've gotten your cola and your wine is out of customs, you'll need a shipper. Occasionally, export shippers in the wine's country of origin will have a partner in your destination city that can pick up the wine and deliver it for you. Just make sure that you have the local contact's phone number because calling France when your wine doesn't arrive on the day of your event in New York City won't provide you much help in problem solving. If your exporter doesn't have a shipping partner, however, there are plenty of trucking companies out there. Just make sure you find one that knows how to properly move wine. If you follow all of these guidelines, you should have wine in hand without a headache and time for your next event. I hope you enjoyed this tip of the week. Until next time, I'm Emma Criswell. This has been Hit the Bottle, a production of Balzac Communications and Marketing. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you like this podcast, please rate and review the show. Thank you for joining us. Until next week.